Have you ever felt completely overwhelmed by looking at the future or how to overcome a huge hurdle or even how you're going to make an inch of progress when you've got miles ahead of you? Today, we're talking about the life-altering concept of one day at a time and why it's absolutely vital in both addiction recovery and in spiritual progression. If you're looking to make changes in the new year, this episode will walk you through some practical tips on sticking with it one day at a time. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Neil and... Hi. <laughs> and we are going to talk about... One day at a time. When I point to you, you talk. Okay, thank you. Um, a line from one of our favorite movies, Moneyball. Okay, so one day at a time. Why is that a phrase that means anything to you? Uh, for me, it's just coming from the recovery world. And so trying to recover from addiction, the only way that I could can continue to do it is one day at a time. Okay. So do you remember, do you have any memory or recollection of the first time you heard that? Um, I think it was a meeting. The first meeting I went to, um, people said it and then... Like just said it in randomly the, in their shares? In or? the shares. Okay. It was kind of a phrase that was thrown around or um, I think in the reading you know, like kind okay. of like the step that they were reading it, it talked about it in the, the book, like big book or okay. know, whatever material they're reading from. Okay. So if someone has not heard that phrase, what is it, what does it actually mean? Um, it's just basically the way that I understand it is just taking it one day at a time instead of trying to take everything all in one shot. Um, it's living in sobriety or living in recovery one day at a time. Okay. But it doesn't have to be recovery or sobriety too, right? This can work for a lot of different things and we'll get into that in a minute. But I want you to explain to me the difference between what your life looked like before you lived one day at a time and then we can talk about kind of after. So give me a, like paint a picture of what life looked like for you before you were living one day at a time. I think I felt super frustrated all the time because I felt like I needed to accomplish all of my goals and hopes and dreams and desires like all in one shot. And so it was kind of this constant feeling that I was never measuring up, whether that was like, okay, I got to graduate from college. Um, and, and I'm like looking at how long that's going to take, or I got to be this successful work and hit these goals or, um, you know, make this amount of money. And it, it was all kind of like in a one shot thing. And it all felt like it was like in the, all in the present, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like I got to do this all now. Um, and so I just felt frustrated and I, it just, I never felt like I measured up to anything. So not so much like a waking up. Cause it's interesting that you're describing that. Cause I've always pictured you feeling this way, like waking up and just thinking about everything ahead of you. But you're more saying like, you would just feel each day like you weren't measuring up. That was kind of more. Well, that, no, that was a part of it too. It was like, it, depending on the situation was like, okay, I'm going to feel this way. I'm going to be stuck in this situation forever. And okay. like, things are never going to change. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, it, it kind of like projects how I was feeling in the moment, which wasn't great um, for like projects it onto the rest of my life. And then, yeah, it just feels totally overwhelming. But you wanted to change, right? 
that was a desire that you had? Yeah. Yeah. And I, the whole time I wanted to be different and not, you know, not engage my addiction or, um, yeah, be better. Okay. So take me through once, I don't know. I would love to hear what that transformation was the first little while that you really started to live one day at a time. Like how did you, were there times that you stopped yourself and said, Oh wait, I'm not living that way anymore. Or this is my new frame of mind. Like, tell me what that looked like and felt like for you. Yeah. I think when the, when the concept started to stick, like that was different for me. I, I remember I was in outside cells. I was driving around all the time to different doctor's offices as in medical cells. And so while I was driving, I remember like, you know, there something would pop into my mind or I'd get triggered on, on something. I was like, okay, I should, you know, I should go do this or I should pull this up or, or whatever. Um, I started saying that to myself. I would say like, you know what? One day at a time, like I can, I can hang today and, and you know what, or if I needed to shorten it up, I could be like, I can hang till lunchtime. And then I would, I would kind of like use this affirmation of like, I'm sober today. That's all that matters. Or I'm sober now. That's all that matters one day at a time. And then anytime I'd throughout the day, would catch myself being fearful about the future or a situation or a circumstance that was external that I couldn't change. I would say those two things. I'm like, you know what? One day at a time, like I'm sober now. That's all that matters. Um, and that's, it, it felt good. It didn't feel like so out of control all the time. Yeah. That's super interesting. I, I didn't know that about you, but I do want to ask about fear. So why is fear such a common element for, like people who struggle with addiction or people who are trying to overcome, you know, really difficult challenges. What, what is it about fear that anchors people into like destructive behaviors or things that they're trying to get out of that? They just seem, it seems like they can't, you know, or what was it for you? For me, I think it was one, it took getting some abstinence or getting some distance from like, you know, engaging in the addiction to even figure out what was going on, because really the addiction was like a symptom of an underlying problem. Like it, it was, that was my solution or so I thought was like, okay, um, you know, this fixes everything. And so it's kind of numbing everything out. But underneath that, the reason why I was turning to an addiction was because there was different fears there. There was fears of, um, responsibility or, you know, how am I going to measure up to this? Or man, there's this daunting task ahead of me. I need to, whatever I've got, you know, as being in school or whatever, there's a big final coming up or, um, there's this big work thing I got to be ready for. And I'm just so stressed out of my mind that there's all this fear and this anxiety. And it's like, I don't know what to do with that mm -hmm. because my whole life, I just kind of, you know, numbed it out with an addiction. I mean, similar to like a drug or, or, you know, drinking or whatever. Yeah. And I love what the group leader of the meeting we used to go to says fear is like his acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. And that does like it, it's very applicable to me in so many ways. I think of when you were describing how that felt to you, I think of when I walk the girls sometimes or Annabelle, especially into the playroom and I say, okay, you got to clean up this mess. And she just like falls to pieces like, oh, it's so big. That's always what she says. Like, it's so big, mom. Like the mess is so huge that she's like, there's no way. Like, 
looking at the whole entire room with all the toys scattered everywhere. So any grown up who's cleaned up a big mess knows you don't try to pick up the whole entire mess in one scoop and put it away in one bin in one quick motion. You start, you know, you start small and you do one thing at a time. So maybe you're just picking up the books or you're picking up the Barbies or you're just putting the blocks away or whatever. You just do like one small thing at a time. And then pretty soon you look around and you've cleaned up the whole room. And so it feels like for me, it has felt that way too, just being able to surrender things that, and that's really what addiction recovery has taught me as far as being a recovering codependent, someone who used to just try to control everything around me. And I used to, I've explained it before as like voodoo trapping our whole life and our whole family so that, um, and our whole house so that you didn't have an opportunity to stumble upon anything that would trigger you or make it hard for you or be overwhelming or ask you enough questions. Like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Can I do anything for you? How, you know, just feeling like I needed to control, control, control instead, just doing the opposite action and letting go of things and saying, you know what, I can today, I'm going to be fine. And I don't need to be in charge of Neil today. And it's a little bit different for me, but I think it can be so applicable to anyone looking at the proverbial big mess. Like it's so big walking into the playroom and looking at the big mess and instead feeling like, okay, I can do this one thing at a time. Like I can put away just the Barbies or whatever. Does that feel right for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great example because I see Annabelle do that and she'll Mm -hmm. freak out and throw herself on the ground. And, (laughs) and I just like, you know, I, I am not too far off from that. And I think that that, that way of responding to the world of like, man, this is just too overwhelming. And let me distract myself or let me just do a billion other things that, you know, are, are not this big task so that I can avoid it. And I've just spent so much of my life avoiding, you know, major challenges and major responsibilities because I just was afraid of it. And I, and I didn't know how to cope or, or take it on in a way that was manageable or Mm -hmm. responsible. Right. And I remember gaining a, a big aha moment and a little more compassion for Neil and other people who struggle with addiction. When someone explained to me that addiction is pain management, no matter what your addiction is, what, what your drug of choice is, that that is something that, you know, a person who has chosen that means to relieve their stress or anxiety or fear or boredom or depression or whatever by, you know, a harmful substance or action so many times, they've kind of given up that ability to choose for themselves and, and have, they've let an addiction come and take over their lives. And so that, that helped me a lot to take out the personal kind of feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough for you, or our marriage isn't good enough for you, or our connection isn't good enough that you have to go seek it out through a pornography addiction. To me, once I realized, oh, this is pain management that Neil's been doing since he was a kid, it helped me a little bit to understand like what that feels like for you. So I guess take me through now what it looks like to be living in recovery and to live one day at a time. Cause you don't wake up every morning and say, okay, I've committed to be sober until I die. Right. 
That's the hope. <laughs> I'm hoping that I can. But, but you don't wake up and, and then mentally no, like go like through an exercise of like, I am now a perfect person forever. Yeah. yeah. I just look at, I look at the day and I look at really, for me, it comes down to dailies. Like I figured out what things do I need to do? I love someone said in a, in a meeting recently, um, this, this guy talked about a design for a living that recovery or, um, you know, he, he was referencing AA as it's a design for a living, like how to live a functional life. And so each day it's, I have daily things that I know like, okay, if I take these spiritual actions, I will be okay. And even if it's like a hard day or a stressful day or, um, feeling off or whatever, as long as I can hit these things, I will be okay. Um, and for me, that's, you know, prayer, that's studying scriptures or Book of Mormon. Um, uh, making my bed, oddly enough, is one of those things. <laughs> why? Um, I know why, but share why. One of my, my sponsor, actually, he, he would talk about that in meetings. He'd be like, hey, you know, it's like one of my things that I'm big on is making your bed. And, you know, there's this phrase, messy bed, messy head. Um, and I find that for myself something, I don't know, psychological about it. When I make my bed, I just feel more clear minded. It kind of sets my mind up for the day. Like, okay, now it's time to engage in the day and not, you know, look, kind of let go of whatever is still lingering around from yesterday, emotions or feelings wise. But yeah, so I take spiritual actions and I reach out to somebody in recovery. I try and uh, make a call or shoot somebody a text, um, try and serve somebody, um, or go to a meeting. So those are some things that I do daily, strive to do daily that keep me kind of in the right, in the right way. Um, and that keep me kind of focused on a one day at a time type of scenario. I love that. So now talk to me about how this one day at a time concept can be applied to other things in life and how, how has that played into your life with other like, oh, it's the the mess is so big, as Annabelle would say. Well, I think it's just the unmanageability in general. Like life can become so unmanageable so quickly with anything like really is is with a business or with a family with a bunch of kids running around. And, you know, you've got all kinds of needs for school and, you know, all kinds of situations, let alone world challenges, let alone like COVID and when that's going to end or what's mm -hmm. up with the vaccination or, you know, whatever, all this stuff can become so unmanageable and, and our externals can just be so overwhelming, you know, at least for me. So if I can look at today and say, okay, what actually applies today and what do I need to do today? What are the most important things and can I prioritize those? And for me, I need help to do that. And so that's where that spiritual connection comes in, where it's like, okay, I need to be able to set aside whatever my will is for the day and whatever my personal agenda is and be willing to listen to God and what he would have me do. And when I do that, I feel like there's impressions there or the spirit will say something or I'll, I'll have certain feelings or things will just magically work out. A lot of times, like when I'm living surrendered each day, things come together. Um, and it's like magical how it happens. All of a sudden a situation gets taken care of, or there's a solution or somebody else, um, 
magically steps in is like, Hey, I felt like you needed this and I did it. And you know, whatever, it just comes together. And there's this feeling of like gratitude, knowing that I truly feel like it was God and him blessing me because I was willing to listen to what he would have me do opposed to trying to impose my will on everybody and everyone or every situation. when I think of that one day at a time or sometimes you know we talk about in meetings in the 12-step meetings sometimes it's just one hour a day or one minute and one of the most powerful memories to me of that is what you've described as you know when we found out that David passed away and we got on an airplane and how you got through that so can you kind of walk us through that again as far as because I remember well let me just say this I remember when another friend in recovery, his wife OD'd and he showed up to a meeting and I remember just feeling so horrible. And, and also my heart broke, not for, not only for what he was going through right in that moment, but thinking, oh, he is probably going to lose his sobriety. Like there's no way he'll be able to live through this sober now that his world has fallen apart. And a year later, he picked up a chip for another year of sobriety. And I just remember being so inspired by that. But at the same time thinking, there's no way if this would take Neil out if he had a family member die. And just, you know, how it was really, really tender and emotional when you picked up the year, however many it had been, three years or something after when, when Dave had, it had been almost a year since, or it had been a year and a half or something since Dave died and you picked up that like three-year chip. And I remember uh, the group leader, our friend saying like, this is really inspiring to see that you lived your recovery through this first year of grief. And that meant a lot to me too, but we've talked about in the podcast before and just you and me about how that first really, really awful full day how you got through that day. So can you just kind of describe that again, how this one day at a time principle helped you through like that first hard day and then other hard days with grief? Yeah. I think when something major, when that happened, it was like everything else shut off. Like all the stuff that I was so caught up in, in my own mind, in my own world. And what was, it just, everything shut down and there's, it just, there was so much going on, so much emotion, logistics, like it just, my head was spinning literally to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't even pack my stuff. I remember you having to come in and pack my stuff for me because I'm like, I, I just can't even, I, I don't even know what to start grabbing. I was like aimlessly picking up a shoe and like a shirt and I'm like, I don't even know what to do. So I still don't know how we got you clothes that matched because I, I was clueless you did too. It. Yeah, you picked stuff out for me because I literally couldn't do it. And then, but yeah, I, I think knowing that principle and just being in a situation where I legitimately was completely powerless. I mean, there was nothing. My brother died, you know, was was killed and there was nothing I could do about it. And I knew that. And, and just being completely reliant on God. So looking at every moment. Well, do you remember the airplane? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I got onto the airplane and I'm like, I just started listening to conference talks and reading conference talks. 
because that was the only thing that I could think to do was just knowing that from being doing dailies. I'm like, I just need to take, that was the thing that I went to that I was like, I just need to take massive spiritual action right now. And so I jumped into these talks and just started reading through these talks and listening to talks and um, reading, you know, reading the Book of Mormon and trying to really engage myself spiritually and just stay connected spiritually and really just think about, okay, all I got to do. And it, and it literally, this was my thought process is like, okay, I don't even want to think about what, I'm like, you know, what am I landing into in Utah? Like when this plane lands, like I'm, I'm coming into this whole scenario. And, um, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, you know what? All I got to do is worry about getting through this flight. That's it. That's all I got to do. Nothing else matters at this moment. And that was it. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? I'm going to engage spiritually. So that's what I did. And then when we landed, I'm like, all I got to worry about is just getting our bags and getting to the front of the, the airport. That's it. Nothing else. And I can handle that. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I can walk. I can pick up a couple of bags You know, I can, can walk out front. And then I did that and so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, we can, all I got to do is worry about getting back to the house, like to Corinne's parents. And then, so I just incrementally worked through the days and, and just shut out everything else. And I think that when, when there's such a draw on the bandwidth of your emotions, there's only so much you have to give in, and so, so much you can, can really do. And so you, you have to conserve that energy and channel it, like focus it, you know, highly intentionally into certain increments of time, if that makes sense. And I know you've had that same situation with postpartum as well. Yeah. I, I think that with the postpartum depression, it definitely felt like, oh my gosh, I, and this plays actually a little bit, not so much into breaking the day up into small pieces, but more of the not trying to look at the whole entire, you know, this is a problem for the rest of my life or, Again, going back to Annabelle's view of it's so big, you know, because I I had an obsession at the beginning of feeling that postpartum depression take over my entire life that almost every time I would talk to my therapist, I would be like, so when is this going to end? Like, when when am I going to be over this? And she was like, the more you push back on it, the more it's going to dig its heels in, the more you try to put a timeline on it, the more you try to enforce a deadline, the harder it's going to be for your body to go back. But she, she would always tell me too, like, it won't be forever. You won't be this way forever. You will get back to your old self. Things will get back to the way they were. And I think, you know, wise people are saying that about the pandemic too. I just saw my doctor today and she said, I think it will go back, but you know, this is my prediction of how many months. And I think this is kind of what it's going to look like. And I think that we should talk about future tripping right now. Why? Because that's kind of what I'm talking about as far as, and that's my temptation always is to be like, well, what's this going to look like next year? And what's this going to look like in five years? And how am I going to get to, if I want, if I want to raise kids that are emotionally healthy and they work hard and they're kind people and they're responsible and they're not going to end up in jail and (laughs) whatever, I always, you know, worry so much about the future. 
but yet this one day at a time principle, which I believe is the true principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ as, as well as recovery. And because truth is truth is truth, right? Like all truth can be combined into one great whole. Isn't that what it is? Yes. So, um, I believe that this is a true principle in all aspects of life, including my dad loves to end all of his emails, his very wise emails to our family and on his mission and everything. He always says daily, daily decisions determine destiny. And I believe in that too, in that principle of, you know, it's a one day at a time gospel program too, of waking up, doing the dailies, like you said, doing the right things. And that will eventually long-term lead to really wonderful fruits of obedience and fruits of your labor of working hard a little bit every day at, you know, one day at a time to, to get like a really fruitful result. But, um, yeah, as far as looking at postpartum, I think that was my biggest challenge as far as not doing the one day at a time, waking up and looking at the whole big picture of the mess is so big and I, my life is a mess and I don't feel like myself and everything feels overwhelming. I mean, there were days that you had to like bring my meals up to me because I couldn't even walk downstairs and make myself a sandwich, you know, but how has future tripping applied in your recovery and in your life versus the one day at a time program? I think it comes back to control a lot of, for me is a lot of times when I am future tripping, I'm trying to control something that's in the future that hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. or that I, that's like an external that I don't have any control over. So, you know, I think COVID has been a huge example of that is it's like trying to plan anything or trying totally. to come up with any, all bets are off. It's like, I don't know what the world's going to look like in a month or two months, or I don't even know what's going to happen. And so like future tripping also, I think can come down to scenarios and and it's like, well, what if this happens? Then what are we going to, what am I going to, what if this happens? What if, you know, what if we, what if schools don't come back and we just have to do distance learning like nonstop, well, then what are we going to do? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, like, and, and I think it is good to obviously plan for situations and be ready and you want to be like strategic, but certain situations, at least a lot of times for me, like I will spin out on that, you know, maybe like the average bare normal human being can, you know, strategically manageably do that. Like my capability to engage in that is like fear driven. I'm just like, well, what if this, what if this, and all these negative scenarios come to mind. So keeping it one day at a time and keeping it manageable and be like, you know what? I don't need to worry about that right now. Mm -hmm. Who knows? We all, you know, the world might end tomorrow, but right now, today, like, here's what needs to happen. And you know what? I can do that. And that's, that's all I need to worry about. Yeah. There's a talk that you love that talks about the one day at a time program. Do you want to share what that is and some of your favorite thoughts from there? D. Todd Christofferson, he's a leader in our, one of the apostles in our church. Um, And he's talking to a a bunch of uh, like young adults. And um, so this is really cool because this is the first time I'd heard a leader of the church of our church talk about specifically this concept. I'd heard it all the time in recovery, but it was really cool to hear like somebody um, back that up spiritually. He says, we older adults, including parents and church leaders and professors and friends often admonish you to plan for the future. We urge you to lay a foundation for marriage and family and to act on those plans. 
we caution you to think of possible consequences down the road when making decisions about what to do today. All of this expresses a wise and prudent course in life. And in what I say tonight, I do not minimize in any way the importance of thinking and planning ahead. Thoughtful planning and preparation are key to a rewarding future, but we do not live in the future. We live in the present. Mm. It is day by day that we work out our plans for the future. It is day by day that we achieve our goals. It is one day at a time that we raise and nurture our families. It is one day at a time that we overcome imperfections. We endure in faith to the end, one day at a time. It is an accumulation of many days well-lived that adds up to a full life in a saintly person. So when I read that, I'm like, hallelujah. Like, that's that's it. Like, how cool is that? And that completely resonated with me and made perfect sense. Yeah, I really love that too. Um, it is easy to look at, you know, be perfect even as I am and feel like, oh, I'm never going to get there. Right. Yeah. And like that, that concept of like, man, that's, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I think people look at that and go, okay, well forget it. Then I'll just go do what seems easier in the moment. Be merry. Right. Because I'm not going to be perfect. (laughs) But what I've learned, because I think you and I have both had a little bit of that in our lives here and there. Um, neither of us have ever had a time where we're like, I'm, I'm over trying to live a Christ-like life, but, but sometimes where it's like, oh, it seems a little bit easier to give into sin or an easier way of life or anything like that. But what I found is that living principles of truth, living principles that keep you happy, they actually do, like I said a second ago, bring really fruits of, of happiness and peace and joy and all of the things that are fruits of living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you choose to, you know, make good choices and to, to live that one day that's ahead of you in the best way possible, not in a perfect way, but in in the best way, you know, how you get to hit your pillow at the end of the day and rest well. Like that's one of my favorite things that I hear you and our other friends in recovery talk about is, you know, people who are living lives that are out of control with addiction, they feel fear. They feel out of control all the time. And yet someone who's living recovery says like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to go to bed sober tonight. And that's a really good feeling to have, to know that you might not be in control of the world around you, but you are taking steps to live a sober life that brings you joy and peace and happiness, no matter how crazy the world around you that you cannot control becomes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of my friends says like being in the eye of the hurricane, like all around you, that things are just can be nuts, crazy, insane. There's this hurricane going, but in the middle of the hurricane, there's the eye, which is like totally calm. And if I can remain in the eye of the hurricane, um, that's kind of like my goal through the day. And I can do that through taking spiritual actions, through, through practicing these principles we talk about in meetings. And, and just to clarify, like there are days that are crazy that are (laughs) like emotionally I'm all over or spinning out or like fearful or like, it doesn't mean that I don't have fearful, challenging, hard days. Um, I have a lot of those, but the amazing thing is, and the cool thing is, is to get to the end of the day and be like, I'm sober. Like I made it through and I know that God got me through and, and maybe it was crazy and maybe things weren't perfect and maybe it was reckless and all over the map and messy and, you know, 
messes everywhere and kids, you know, running around making, you know, running amok in our house and, <laughs> you know, whatever the case like may be. And things didn't get attended to that, you know, needed to get done. But it's like, did I get done the most important things? And if I'm applying those principles and I'm listening and I'm trying to follow and live in that eye of the hurricane, um, in most instances, yes. Like I can look back and be like, you know what? It's okay. It's enough. And I can feel God confirming that. So Neil, if there's one message you want people to remember <laughs> about living one day at a time, what do you want that message to be? Oh, that's a really big it's always a big question. I love hearing people's responses, you know, and, and what it takes back to. But I think for me is is trusting that that God will take care of the rest, trusting in God and surrendering to his will. Like it's scary to let go of my expectations and my fears and my what if that and what if that, you know, what about this? What about that? I need to control. I need to control. It's scary to let go of that and trust that God's going to catch it and take care of it. But I know that when I do that, that things work the way that they need to, even if I don't see it in the moment. Um, but there's a calm reassurance that I'll get that everything is okay and it's as it should be so long as I'm putting that trust in God and to, you know, surrender and look at the day and and turn it over to him. It requires that trust and trusting in him. I love that. I don't think looking at the future is necessarily a bad thing. I love to plan. I love to be excited about things coming up. I love to, you know, try to improve like we talked about in our last episode. I love things that have to do with bettering ourselves toward the future and trying to, you know, work toward a goal. That is such a deeply ingrained part of who I am. Where I think I've gotten into trouble is fearing the future, feeling overwhelmed by looking at the huge mess in the playroom, feeling like it's so big, feeling like something that I need to overcome is so insurmountable. And when I have taken those really big challenges and instead broken them up into little piles of the blocks, then the Barbies, then the books, and, you know, just done one thing at a time, one day at a time, one small piece of it at a time. And like you said, too, worked with God. And sometimes the most important thing to me with all of the multitasking I do with being a mom and a business owner and a wife and a sibling and trying to be a decent friend and a good member of our church and all of the different things that I juggle, I would say one of the most important things is to have God be my partner and wake up every morning and say, what do you want me to do? Which pile should I start with first? And when he directs, I get so much more done. And I don't have to focus on just how big the mess is, but I can just focus on one small thing at a time and give that my full attention. And in doing that intentionally and keeping my focus on one small thing at a time or one day at a time, I'm able to achieve so much more. So I, in a different way, I feel like this has changed and blessed my life too, in a way where I really have unraveled a lot of the mess of looking at how big and scary the future is. And instead just looking at one small thing at a time, one small pile, one small, like let's take on one small challenge or, or just one chunk of the day, or let's just get through till this time, like you said. And, and that has blessed my life a lot. So 
I really believe in this principle too. And I think it brings a lot of happiness when we can just do one thing at a time, one day at a time. And really we're so much better off to, to do that and to trust in God that he's got the rest, like you said. So absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. We'll see you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.